1: Welcome to the Heat Check Podcast. I'm David Wilson and I'm joined this week on the other line by Barry Jackson, a columnist here at the Herald. Anthony is in transit coming back from Milwaukee, uh, headed back to Miami for game three this weekend. Uh, so good excuse to get Barry back on the show. It's been a little while, Barry. I'm um, to ask you how it's going, um, but we, well, I, I only watched about half of the game last night, but you had to watch that whole game last night. So I'm sure it was was not the best night in in the Jackson household.
0: Yeah, you got the better assignment covering yeah. the panthers Bruins series last night, David. I guess uh, there's obviously two ways to look at what happened last night. You can say on one hand, well, they accomplished what they set out to do, which is yeah. to win one game in Milwaukee. But on the other hand, it was just so sobering. I use the word demoralizing on Twitter. Yeah. I know some people disagreed with that. But I meant it in the sense that if the gap is so large between you and a, a team without Giannis and you come to the acknowledgment that Milwaukee, even without Giannis, has more talent, that's pretty depressing. It's not a shock based on everything we've seen this season, but it should be another reality check, like we need one, and it should also be more reinforcement to the front office that this roster simply is not good enough. It's not big enough. It's not athletic enough. It's not talented enough. And last night, I think, was one of the more painful reminders of that because at least without Giannis playing David, there seemed to be a sliver of hope that you could maybe steal a second game, but at the very least have a competitive game going into the fourth quarter. And the fact that it wasn't, uh, to me, spoke everything uh, that needed to be said about the Heat roster, but frankly, things we probably already knew that they're just not good enough.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, Barry, Barry ja- or, uh, Greg Cody, our other columnist, had a, a wrote a good column today about how Heat and Panthers both coming back home 1-1, uh, which is all you want to do theoretically when you're on the road, but totally different feelings, I think around those two teams right now um, it's interesting the heat I mean it's frankly it's the same story Anthony I've been talking about all year where the team can beat anyone on any given night or lose to anyone on any given night and have not been able to that was that was the reason obviously that they wind up being a mediocre team and in the plan and it's the reason why they can go from you know, looking really good in that game one, uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to shooting, right. But this team has just been so streaky shooting and, and defensively the shooting and defense was, was there in game one. And obviously what the Bucks shot what was it like 70% from three in the first half, or at least one point in the first half. Um, it's how the NBA works, but it's also just how this, this team is not good enough to like buck those NBA trends, where it feels like it just kind of comes down to who makes more threes on any given night. Um, so yeah, you could get excited after Game One, right? Like, I don't blame Heat fans for getting excited. They they stole Game One, and as we said, that's kind of all you need to do when you go up on the road. But the story of this Heat team all year is they can look great on one night, and it's a mirage, frankly. Like, it, maybe they'll, maybe they'll do that again. Maybe they'll maybe this series will go six because Jimmy will be spectacular one more time. Maybe it'll even go seven because Jimmy will be spectacular and they'll have another game where they shoot sixty five percent from three or whatever. But I mean, it's the the gap as you mentioned is is Pretty huge right now. Um, I'll tell you what
0: bothered me about last night, David. Two things bothered me. One, I was disappointed that Spolster stuck with the same starting lineup because I think you're playing with fire, expecting Max Strus at 6 5 to be able to defend Brooke Lopez at 7 1. That mismatch was repeatedly exposed early in the game, and it really set the tone for the Bucks' three point shooting because the Heat then had to start packing the paint, helping Strus trying to crash the boards to no avail. That left open three point shooters. So that was one disappointment, me. I mean, the other was just the volume of wide open buck shots early uh, in the game, especially first quarter, early second quarter. They did hit a bunch of contested shots later in the second quarter where you just have to tip your cap to them and say, well, those are impressive contested threes. But early on, way too many open looks. Grayson Allen had at least two where no one was anywhere near him. And, uh, you know, I know there were some difficult threes later, but the momentum was hatched during the first few minutes because of the decision made to have Struz defend Lopez and because the Heat was slow reacting to get to buck shooters. So that's not an issue of Milwaukee being great. That's an issue of two things, in my view, that the Heat did wrong.
1: Yeah, very hard, I think. I mean, they obviously had to adjust the starting lineup with Tyler Hero out. They put Duncan Robinson in. Um, I'm sure they're given more thoughts to what that lineup could look. because It's just going to be hard, I think, for them to play Duncan and and Struess together there's a reason they haven't played together like all year right there's a reason one of those guys in the rotation and one of them isn't on any given night um and yeah i don't know what do you with caleb martin you think that's a possibility i guess for game three i mean again we're, we're it seems uh so i guess we should say the reason that this probably seems even more dire than it is is Giannis is probably going to be back by Saturday, I would think. Right, you know, and there are no good options
0: with the lineup. Yeah. there's some options I think that are better than others. I right. would have gone with Love last night instead of Duncan, so you would have moved Struess to two guard, right, and had Butler and Struess and Vincent as your wings, and then Love and Bam mm-hmm. up front. Now, remember, Love made his debut alongside Bam in the Heat starting lineup in yeah. Milwaukee, the first game after the All Star break. It didn't go well, but I didn't <laughs> want to read too so much into that because it, right. it was the first game. game yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'd like to see Spo try that, because at least then you have a player who's three inches taller. Love is 6'8", Struess is 6'5", might be a little more competitive with Lopez. Now, Love, during his brief time last night, wasn't great against Lopez, but at least he gives you a little more size. The problem is they don't have two bigs, other than Love and Bam, that is a realistic lineup to compete against the Bucks' tall front line for this reason. Bam has not developed a three-point shot, unfortunately, and so you can't play him with Zeller, who's not a three-point shooter, because Spo does not like playing two bigs together if neither of them is able to shoot threes. So that lineup, which at least would give you size, seemingly is ruled out. Now, the only other option to give you size with two bigs other than Bam and Love or Bam and Zeller would be Bam and Omer and that's a lineup that Spolstra invested time in in September and the scrimmage uh, at the end of the first week of training camp but obviously Omer then sustained an ankle injury that sidelined him for the season and in very limited minutes since returning he's had difficulties defensively. Uh, It's a shame that we never were able to see a fully healthy Omer early in the season because then at least we would have gotten a sense about whether the defense could have improved in enough He gives an Omer-Bam pairing realistic.
1: They've kind of got some big guys now with Zeller and Love, obviously, like, varying degrees of playable and and matchup dependent, right? I mean, Kevin Love had some some good moments over the last week in in game one and and the the second play-in game. Um, But, yeah, other than Bam, who, again, is, as everyone knows, small, undersized center, Omer is the only guy who has, like, kind of like that athleticism in the back end that, I mean – against a team like the Bucks especially when Giannis is out there like I'm not saying O'Meara is like a uh, Giannis stopper or the solution to stopping Giannis but yeah if if they he's the one guy other than Bam who like feels like he could potentially survive in that kind of matchup
0: yeah he'd give you size and rebounding defense would be the question but yeah. at this but he's point not, he's, so he's a decent
1: shot blocker he can move around a little bit it's he's a different yes. type of guy than a Kevin Love
0: yeah, I'm sure there were Heat fans last night thinking, why not give Omer a chance? And I think certainly a case could have been made to play the two of them a little bit together in the second half last night when the margin was lopsided. But it seems like we're past the point of no return with Omer this season. Yeah. It seems like there's nothing he can do to regain Spoh's trust because of those defensive miscues that we saw during appearances in games in April. And that's unfortunate because we know Omer can rebound. We saw, obviously, that he's developing three-point range. He hit three out of six three-point attempts yeah. in the final two games of the season. But obviously, the, the concern, which seems to be the overriding concern in Spo's mind, is the pick-and-roll defense, where O'Meara's been slow to react. So because of that... I think the best possible upside combination of Bam and O'Mare is probably viewed as unrealistic by Spo and something that he's very likely not going to try. So then we're left with, okay, do you want to play Love and Bam together, even though Spo seems more comfortable playing Love off the bench? Or do you just want to accept the fact that you're going to be tiny against the Bucks front line and play six, five guys as your power forward with Struess. Uh, or Caleb Martin, and I think going small uh, is a mistake, because we saw how much it was exposed last, last night, night yeah. and I, I just don't think it's the way to go, but it, it very well could be the way that Spo continues to go. He could, very conceivably, David, on Saturday, continue having at Ford, but simply replace Robinson with Oladipo, which improves your defense, obviously, some on the perimeter, but it doesn't do anything about dealing with a Bucks' front line with 7 uh, 1 Brooke Lopez and either Giannis uh, or Bobby Portis, who also towers over Max Truce.
1: Yeah, yeah, the matchup across the board is bad, and and that's just because the Bucks are a lot better than the Heat, right? Like they can beat yes. them in so many different ways. Like you know, big. exactly. Last night, the story of the night was probably like the shooting, right? Because that was what kind of built the lead, the ultimately kind of insurmountable lead. But just as much of the reason was the rebounding and the size, and and you could you could easily come out of the game and be like, you could. Have either take any? I think both are equal in terms of like why the Heat got blown off the floor in Game two.
0: Exactly, and it's something to shoot fifty four percent like the Heat did, forty four percent on threes, and still be dominated. Now, yeah. admittedly, a lot of those shooting numbers were padded with yeah. some great shooting in the fourth quarter yeah, during. They were down March what thirty
1: four, I think, right. Right. when Duncan said, and Nolodepo both got hurt.
0: Yeah. But yeah. a, a couple other things last night, I want to bring up that that kind of irked me. Bobby Portis is a guy that the Heat showed some interest in mm-hmm. in free agency the last couple of times, but Miami never pursued him aggressively. Last time in free agency, he ended up resigning with Milwaukee just before the start of free agency, but it was clear at that point that the Heat was not going to offer uh, a full mid-level exception. So he's a guy, and I know obviously he can be an irritant, and it's such you know, a of so, like yes, he is a he is a Heat guy to me. He's someone that I wish the front office had more vigorously pursued. Rather than simply inquiring about, he would have been such a helpful piece. Because now, when you lose Giannis, the Bucks can go to Bobby Portis, who is a legitimate NBA starter. He'd be starting for at least half the teams in the league, in my view, at Power Reggie Miller
1: said 29, which I don't know if that's right, but... <laughs>
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, I laughed at that too. Yeah, 29 isn't right, but it could be in the range of mid-teens. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that bothered me. It also was a little bit irksome, even though Crowder didn't play well last night, he would have been a very good fit here, and he did want him. Yeah. It was just frustrating in the sense that Miami's assets really have been so poor as far as tradable assets in the past year that there was no permutation at all that was palatable to the heat that Phoenix had any interest in. So Milwaukee, obviously able to swoop in uh, and acquire him. Uh, so that that frustrated me a little bit last night as well. And also, I, I want to get back quickly, David, to the whole BAM three-point issue. We know what a great work ethic he has. Mm-hmm. But to me, last night shows – why the heat and this is uh, as very as much the coaching staff as bam should have prioritized him becoming a three-point shooter he doesn't have to be a great three-point shooter perhaps that's not possible but an adequate three-point shooter because at least then it would give you the opportunity in series like this to pair bam with another 6'11, yeah. 7 foot guy who could offer more resistance in the paint defensively against lopez and also could rebound The Bam Zeller combo is simply not an option because neither is a three-point shooter. And you're not going to ask Zeller at this stage of his career to become a three-point shooter. So this is where it would be helpful for Bam to be able to develop a three-point shot. And Bam gets all the credit in the world for developing his offensive game over the last couple of years. No one would ever question his work ethic. He's as hard a worker as there, as there has been in this organization in recent years. But I just wish more time had been spent on developing a three-point game for this specific reason and this specific circumstance because it totally opens up the menu of available players that Spo could play or, alongside him. Now that menu still remains limited. You need a big guy who can shoot, and the Heat simply hasn't been able to find that other than Love, who now Spo doesn't want to play yeah. with Bam to begin with. So it's, it's all sorts of challenges.
1: Yeah, I think the Bam three-point conversation probably better suited for the offseason but yeah it isn't but, but why so not last
0: offseason is my right, point. yeah yeah.
1: Well, i'm just saying as a topic for us to talk about but i uh it's interesting like the one guy that they ever kind of had like you think back to the bubble year um and one they were it seemed like that was the priority at that point was for Bam. i remember what jimmy butler was offering him like a hundred dollars every time or a thousand dollars every time he would take a three in a game like there was clearly that was where they thought it was going for him um he took, I'm looking, he took 14 three pointers that year. Um, in the three years since eight, six, and twelve this year. Like it just it's actually dropped. I mean, it's infinite like it's minuscule numbers, so it doesn't matter that much, but it is dropped. Right. Um it's interesting that it never took became anything. And it's interesting that year was the year that Myers Leonard was in the starting lineup. Uh every that was kind of the one guy, a seven footer, a, a thicker guy, right? Not just like a string bean seven footer who could shoot threes and You know, it wasn't – he didn't end up being – he was their fifth starter kind of in name only. He didn't end up – he was not their fifth most important player. He probably didn't play the fifth most minutes. Um, But they clearly – that's the one guy they've had who was – um, you know, they had Kelly Olenek on that team too, is similar, but Myers- right. Those two
0: guys were the ones they tried pairing with Bam. Yeah. And Olink with Bam had great plus minus numbers three out of four years. Yeah. There was one season of Olympics forward fizzled out. But even uh, Kelly and-
1: is kind of a skinnier, he's not a rebounder. Right. Like Myers right. gave you some of that, and they they've been struggling to find that. And, and that,
0: that Myers combo. Uh, for, forgive the the audio. It's uh it's an ESPN.com box score audio issue. <laughs> yes, so let's let's, let's eliminate that. Yep. Yeah. So the Myers, uh, Bam pairing was really really good for the first half of one season. Then that too sort of fizzled out. Mm-hmm. But we've seen extended stretches where Bam with a player who's six eleven or taller who can shoot. Myers and Kelly has worked very well. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, the heat's been unable to find someone like that since. So what seemed to be working best for Bam was a power forward who was more athletic uh, and nimble and able to defend multiple positions, but also smaller. And right, we so saw you just that fully with PJ. lean into
1: the defense, kind of right.
0: We saw that with PJ, we saw that with Caleb. The combo with PJ obviously worked. The combo with Martin had some success early in the season, but once Love signed. Spo totally gave up on the idea of starting Martin. And it seems like now it's not even a consideration because one thing about Spolstra is once he believes a player gives the team more coming off the bench, it's very difficult to mm-hmm. convince him to put that player back in the starting lineup unless the player makes, uh, makes it clear that he wants to start, which was the case with Tyler Hero. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it's been a challenge now. Uh, for a full year about what to do at power forward alongside Bam, it's going to continue to be a challenge that has to be a- as high on the list as any offseason uh, need for this team, David.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be a good pivot point because we want to talk about the future here, the off Um, But I, I, before we do that, just the one big question, did the Heat blow their chance in game two? To Make the series definitely to steal the series to make the series competitive. Yes,
0: yes. I, I, it's hard for me to see any scenario where they could win the series. And frankly, if Giannis is back, assuming
1: I, Giannis comes back, obviously, yeah, yeah, I, I would very say likely that. Yeah, I would back say back it would again. be it
0: would be a surprise to me if the Heat wins another game moving forward because you just see the gap in talent between the teams, and uh, it's it's sobering. It's overwhelming, and and frankly, it's depressing because you see how many needs the Heat has to address in the offseason and how deficient they are at multiple positions, and uh, I know a case could be made. They're closer to lottery teams than they are to the teams at the top of the East, Boston well, and the they were
1: one They were one loss away from being in the lottery.
0: Right, right, and but also they were one shot away from beating Boston well, in the finals go. last year. Yeah. So the question is, how does this happen? How do you go from a team on the cusp of a championship to a team that looks much closer to the bottom of the East than the top of the East? And, uh, you know, I would just quickly say that two things have happened with the Heat. Most of their players have regressed or not improved. Mm -hmm. And even the one guy who did improve during the first half of the year, BAM has regressed, scoring down five per game since the All-Star break. Rebounding is down. Offensive efficiency is down. Turnovers are up. So that's one factor. Second factor is we kind of suspected, David, that there would be a few teams in the East that might pass the Heat. Virtually all of them have.
1: Right. Cleveland, New York. The Heat, every year there's a team that underachieves, and it wound up being the Heat this year, right? Exactly. Only
0: Toronto, Toronto and Chicago were the only teams that we thought, okay, could they have surpassed the Heat? And they did not. But everyone else has. And once everyone who when they
1: added players, right? The C- Cleveland guys, right. Mitchell, uh, New York. Exactly. Uh, got um, Brunson
0: and then Josh Hart at the all-star uh, or at the trade deadline, which has been a tremendous help. So uh, I think Cleveland... And New York passing the Heat has been as hurtful as anything, because if that had not happened, if Cleveland had not gotten Mitchell, if the Knicks had not gotten Brunson, then this Heat team for all of their flaws still yeah. probably would have ended up a fourth or fifth yeah. seed and had a very competitive first round series. And then you're talking about at least a second round team. So I think those are the two factors that have led to the spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when Anthony and I talked last week, we, we talked about the idea, you know, you have to win four games in a series, right? You can get killed three times. doesn't matter. Um, our idea was basically, you know, Jimmy can win one or two single handedly. Where do you get the other wins? Last night was one of their chances to get one of those other wins, and and they didn't do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's the East is a lot more competitive than it was last year, right? Last year, Jimmy could kind of will you through. The defense was a lot. I mean, this team was a lot better. Like, I don't want to just act like the East, the rest of the East got better. Like, the Heat's defense was fantastic, especially in the postseason last year. It has been below average since the all-star break. Um, And then Jimmy was, you know, the, I mean, he still might be one of the five or six best players in the conference, but he was so far ahead of most other guys that uh, it ultimately kind of didn't really matter. And you could just win games with him. They obviously got lucky that Milwaukee and Boston played each other in in round two last year. Um, So a lot of things broke the right way. And, you know, I get why the heat for the most part wanted to try to run it back, but yeah, you're right. It's it, it wound up being kind of the, I mean, obviously the wrong decision, and, and you see the way that team, other teams that were more aggressive, more proactive have, have surpassed and, and And
0: one thing that we would be remiss in not, mention, uh, in not mentioning, because we're almost half hour into the podcast. Obviously, <laughs> Tyler Hero's absence makes a difference. Yeah, I don't want to true, short for sure. tell that. I don't want to act like we're glossing that over. Uh, last night, his presence obviously would have made the game more competitive. It's hard to say his presence would have helped them win the game because the margin was so lopsided and the Bucks were just hitting threes and yeah. Hero wouldn't have solved their height deficit. But obviously it's a big loss. Uh, he's a player, aside from Butler, who can most naturally create his own shots, their most offensively gifted player. Mm-hmm. I thought Charles Barkley, David, made an interesting point on TNT at around 1.30 uh, in the morning last night. He said, in his view, the Heat's loss of Hero is more of a loss in this series than the Bucks not having Giannis. And Kenny Smith and Shaq shot back and said they don't agree. But I could understand his point. He said the Bucks have enough without Giannis to beat the Heat. Right. But the Heat simply does not have enough to compete with the Bucks without Hero, a team that already was last in the league in scoring, uh, missing its third-leading score and its most gifted perimeter player. Uh, so I, I can certainly understand that point. I guess the disappointment is that you figured you had – a capable replacement in Oladipo if Hero were to go down and he simply has never been able to regain what he had during that very finite amount of time when he was an efficient offensive player and an all-star before the knee injury Uh, there was one year where Oladipo was able to shoot 47% Above average on threes. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we're talking about a guy who's 39% shooter from the field, 33% on threes. And you can't live with that type of efficiency as a starting two guard. Uh, obviously he gives you better defense than Duncan, but even Vic last night was beaten off the dribble by Grayson yeah. and Allen and others. So obviously Vic's defense, very good in the passing lanes, creating turnovers, but even the man-to-man defense hasn't been, uh, great, uh, at during stretches of the yeah. season. So yeah, the biggest disappointment is that you have got, uh, Oladipo, former all-star on the bench. You have Duncan Robinson, who they paid 90 million to and yet they still seemingly don't have an answer to replace Tyler Hero. And that's unfortunate because they assumed when they signed Duncan to this deal and when they invested time in Depot that they would have a legitimate replacement for Tyler Hero if, A, they traded him, or if, B, he went down with an injury, and apparently they don't.
1: Well, that's the perfect place, I think, to switch gears to uh, the second half of our conversation. Um either no matter what happens the rest of the way in this series and even in this playoff run, um it's gonna be a tricky offseason for the Heat. Um Barry, you're 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 a big off-season guy. You're you're one of our off-season experts here at the Herald. Um, you were talking before we started recording about um some of the new CBA rules and how the heat's already precarious situation. You you talked about earlier about how they were unable to make a run at Jay Crowder, obviously just talked about Duncan Robinson and, and Victor Oladipo and how their contracts have created issues for the heat. Um, It was always, I mean, we've seen it in the last two years, it's been tough for this team to add talent and it's going to become even tougher. Why?
0: Well, a couple of factors. One is, They've invested a ton of money on players who aren't helping them. They have to pay Kyle Lowry $29.7 million. That screws
1: you no matter what the CBA says. <laughs>
0: exactly right. Uh, the hope is that they can find someone to take his expiring contract, but I think that's easier said than done. The Heat does not want to in- try to entice a team to take Lowry by throwing in a first-round pick, and I agree with that. Robinson obviously have three years left on the five-year $90 million contract that's going to pay him $18, $19 million a year. So right there, you're paying $50 million of a $134 million salary cap on players who might not make a big difference for your team next season if they're on the team. The other issue is, for the first time, they have major luxury tax issues. Mm -hmm. The luxury tax is expected to be $162 million next season. They have eight players under contract, who will make $171 million. So they have only half their roster filled. They're already $9 million over the tax threshold. Now, as I wrote about yesterday on MiamiHerald.com, Victor Oladipo would be doing the Heat a huge favor if he opted out of the $9.5 million salary for next season, because then your luxury tax uh, bill would go down tremendously. Oladipo doing that would save the Heat tens of, million, uh, tens of, uh, of millions of dollars, but even more so it would give you flexibility to be able to add additional players uh under the new collective bargaining agreement if your team is 17 and a half million over the luxury tax threshold which would be about 179 million uh, next season with 162 million dollar cap line so if your team is at a payroll of 179 million there are new restrictions that are going to be in place this summer and for next season among them is you cannot use your taxpayer mid-level exception if you're a tax team. That's Mm -hmm. expected to be around $7.1 million. Also, you cannot sign players in the buyout market next January and February. So if Oladipo opts in, the Heat will be at $171 million, knowing that if they cross the $179 million line, they would be in this gray zone where you cannot uh, sign buyout players. You can't use your taxpayer mid-level. And they would undoubtedly get to that line if Depot opts in if they can't shed salary because you'd have to account for those seven open roster spots. Yeah. Their cap holds, you might resign Strucer or Vincent or try to, but that would be really difficult unless either takes a deal at close to the minimum if Oladipo were to opt in. So at least if Oladipo could somehow be enticed to give up the nine and a half million guaranteed, and somehow convince himself that he can make more, maybe in a multi-year deal in the open market, that at least brings you down to one sixty-one, and then you have about nineteen million to play with under that second, a uh, tax line. What they call the second apron mm-hmm. is the NBA lexicon for that. So well, then, a
1: funny term to me.
0: Yes, the apron. Yeah. So, then you'll have 18 million to play with, which you could use if you want on Vincent or Struz or using your taxpayer mid level exception of 7 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also trade limitations if you pass that second apron of 179 w- uh, million. Those go more into effect in the 2024 2025 season. And that's not even to mention the fact that if you uh, had a payroll of $179 million, that's an enormous luxury tax bill. So they're in a mess, and <laughs> the best way to get out of it is if they could somehow trade Lowry or Duncan to a team that could absorb their salary while giving the Heat players who earn less money. So that would give you a little more wiggle room uh, under the luxury tax threshold. Uh, the idea of trading Lowry or Duncan to a team with cap space who would simply absorb their salaries is unrealistic to me. You're not going to find a team that's willing to do that unless the heat were to throw in first round draft pick. He can't afford to do that. They need those first round picks to be able to uh, sustain their perpetual search to acquire a star. Mm -hmm. So they're just going to have to hope that some team has a player who's pretty good who has maybe 3 years left on their contract at 22 million a year and they're willing to trade that player for Lowry at 29 million a year but they have the cap space to absorb the extra salary, the $7 million difference in that hypothetical, that's the type of trade that, to me, would be more realistic. The idea of finding a team to absorb Lowry at $29 million and send you back a $6 million player on an expiring deal, that's not happening. No team would be incentivized yeah. to do that unless the Heat gave you two first-round picks, and they're not going to do that.
1: The So, obviously, I, I think for and I, I mean at this point i think it's hard not to feel this way is that the heat needs to they need another star right they need um this this current group they have how does this you know not that there's a obvious guy available but what damian lillard's name is always out there the wizards are just fired their gm maybe finally bradley beal becomes available or chris Dapps porzingis or something a lesser star type guy um how do they how would the, all these these change These new set of rules, how would that potentially affect the Heat's pursuit of another elite level or like, you know, a big set, big salary type player?
0: Well, it makes it a little bit more difficult this year if your payroll is 179 million and again just to remind people of what we said if all Depot ops yeah. in your payroll is at 171 for eight players so you would then be over 179 almost assuredly
1: yeah by it would make
0: it name. really difficult even more difficult 14 months from now to do any sort of trade like that if you are a team over that second apron. Uh, to me, what makes the most sense is you initially canvas the market and see, what you can get for all of your best assets not involving Jimmy or not involving Mm -hmm. Bam. But then I think if you can't find anything that appreciably improves your team with those assets, which would be Tyler and as many as three number one picks and Nikola Jovic, uh, you'd obviously need salary cap filler with either Robinson or Lowry if it's Mm -hmm. a player earning in the $45 million range like Lillard is. Uh, If you can't fight anything with those assets, then I think you have to come to the realization that you have to consider offers for Jimmy and Bam. And uh, to me, that's that's as clear as day that you have to be open to anything this offseason, because I don't think even the most uh, optimistic of people can convince themselves that this core is close to a championship. You could have convinced yourself that last June. I don't think you convinced yourself that anymore. So uh, a st- stars will be available this offseason because it always happens. It always
1: happens. Someone right. will be available. Someone we didn't name will probably become available.
0: Exactly. But what would help the Heat, and you and Anthony and I have talked about this in the past, is if the star gives his team a short list of preferences, Miami needs to be on that list because the Heat – Again, if they don't offer Bam or Jimmy, they're going to be in a position where their offer likely could be trumped by another team. So that's why if Lillard asked the Blazers to trade him to Miami, that would be such a help. Because you would think that Portland would feel some sort of gratitude to Lillard and would try to do everything they can to make a deal with Miami work. As opposed to if Lillard says, trade me to any one of these 20 teams, it's likely that one of those teams other than Miami could come up with an offer that's better than Miami's. Uh, as far as the first round picks go, some of you may have read this in our pieces on MiamiHerald.com, but at the moment, the Heat can trade its 2023 and 2029 first round picks. You can free up a third first round pick to trade if the Heat goes to Oklahoma City and asks them. Feels like we've been talking agreeable. about
1: this for years. <laughs> yeah, if
0: they're agreeable to uh, taking the Heat's 2025 first round pick which is currently lottery protected. So at the moment, if the Heat's in the lottery in 2025, the Heat would keep the pick, but then OKC would get the pick in 2026 regardless. Mm -hmm. So if the Heat and the Thunder agree to lift the protections on that 2025 pick, then the Heat could offer three first-round picks in a trade. Then you could offer your 2023 pick, so your pick this June, which is 18th overall, as we all learned this week. You could also offer 2027 first-rounder, You could offer twenty twenty nine first first-rounder in that scenario. So the the way to maximize your non-Jimmy, non-BAM assets is have that protection, lift with OKC, then you could offer hypothetically Hero, if you choose to, and three first-round picks, and Jovic, and some salary cap filler, and that would be your best offer. Now, here's a question, David. Has BAM's play diminished to the point where you ask yourself, wait a minute, why are we trading Tyler Hero? Should we instead consider building packages around BAM? Or do you say to yourself, look, his value defensively, his switchability, the fact that we have no other real bigs in our system and he's a you know fringe all-star big, does he make him so valuable that we just can't consider trading BAM unless it's for an all-NBA player?
1: Yeah, I, I think I feel the latter, that, that Bam is one just, I mean, he's a better player than Tyler Hero. Obviously Tyler is younger, but he's a better player than Tyler Hero. He's more valuable, I think, come playoff te- time. I think it's a lot harder to find a player like Bam, although maybe not, you know, there's a lot of really good centers in the league for the first time in a long time. Maybe it's not as hard as it was to find a great all-star level center as it was five or six years ago. Um, and I think just to the heat, it's hard to imagine that they, like, just throwing out whatever you think It's hard to imagine the Heat, which with Smolstra, with their big emphasis on defense every single year, right, that they view Bam as anything close to expendable, right? I mean, obviously, if they do a full rebuild, then maybe you give him away and try to fully tank and and whatever, but the Heat have basically never done that. Um, But I I have a hard time imagining that they would value Tyler more than Bam in pretty much any situation.
0: I guess up to this point, they've valued Bam like an all-NBA player. Yeah. The, the question, I think it's a fair one, is whether they should moving forward. Right, that is Considering fair. his level of play over the past two months. It's been now a pretty sustained stretch since the All-Star break where he has not played like an All-Star. He's been a good player since February, yeah. but he hasn't been a great player. And so do you ask yourself, should we start at least listening on Bam? To me, that's the most that along with whether they should listen on Butler are the most fascinating questions of the offseason to me. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, well, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap things up. Um, we'll be back next week. I'll probably be with Anthony, but Barry, at some point as we get into the offseason, we'll we'll definitely get you back on uh, to talk about all of these possibilities um, as they start to become more realistic, especially after the Pat Riley annual postseason press conference, which uh, seems like it's coming up soon and is always a fascinating uh, event in heat world. Uh, until then, you can follow Barry on Twitter at fla sports buzz. Are you going to be in the building for for games? Uh, I will. Um,
0: Anthony and I and Greg Cody will be there, and you'll be on uh, puck duty.
1: I'll be on puck duty. Uh, so yeah, you can follow Barry. Uh, he'll have all of your heat updates from the arena, and uh, always great analysis on the big picture of the organization. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DB Wilson too. I'll be up in uh in Broward County, assuming I can find gas, uh, for these. <laughs> Uh, for these next couple of Panthers games. Um, and maybe, maybe as Anthony and I do, sometimes we, we, we come in with the Panthers minute. Maybe we'll shift to some longer Panthers segments. If, uh, if their run goes a little bit longer than the heat. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks as always for listening and we will talk to you guys next week.